This is The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Good morning, it's John Moore. This is The Breakfast Wrap for Monday, December 5th. The weather forecast for today looks like it's going to be a sunny day, a little on the windy side. The high, plus 5 degrees. Here are the five things you need to know. Number one, the results of the QP workers' vote will be revealed this morning. Number two, if no one else declares, Merritt Stiles becomes the NDP leader today. Number three, children's hospitals across the country struggle with the respiratory virus. Number four, a poll shows widespread support for the Emergencies Act. And number five, beloved Sesame Street actor passes away. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Well, happy Monday. How you doing so far? 5.06 is the time. Zero degrees, the freezing mark. And lots and lots of things to talk about today. I hope you had a good weekend. Trying to remember if I did anything important. Well, I did go and see Lila Bialy, who, as you know, I'm a huge fan of. She is a wonderful jazz artist. She was at Kerner Hall on Saturday night. And I don't go out all that much. It takes an awful lot to get me out of the house, mostly because on a normal night, my bedtime is 9 o'clock. So, you know, if something's going to start at 8 o'clock, it probably isn't going to end well. But under the right circumstances, I'm in. And uh, Kerner Hall is a beautiful place. Lila Bialy is a spectacular musician. I highly recommend her to you. I know that people don't really buy CDs anymore, but you can get your hands on CDs. And uh, she's also available for download. And aside from that, what else was there? There was um, soccer, soccer, and more soccer. And uh, took in a few games. I, I don't know if necessarily I'm becoming an enthusiast, but I'm, I'm getting the charm of things. And also, if you're just sitting in a sports bar and, you know, enjoying a pint, then that kind of amps up the experience. And then there was, you know, the Toronto Rock on the weekend as well. And boy, did they ever thump Vancouver. And I love a game that is over. That was on Saturday afternoon, evening. It was done before I had to leave to go and see Lila Bialy. So I was kind of able to squeeze it all in. So uh, that was my weekend. I, I appreciate that it's not exactly, you know, the most spectacular affair, but it was a lot of fun. But if it was relaxing, a lot of fun, then it was a perfect weekend. Yeah, well, I'm still kind of, uh, you know, I tested several times to make sure I don't have COVID, uh, but everybody knows I had a couple of days off. And then on Friday, just out of respect for the team, I worked from home. And uh, then, yeah, the weekend was kind of, there was a lot of napping and stuff. And I'm still making my way through Friends. I think I'm halfway through because there's like 200 episodes. Anyway, that is a strange phenomenon. Who could have ever predicted? I mean, I think most people know the story about how uh, the rerun was invented by Desi Arnaz. And that's because previously they captured some video on a kinescope, but he was the first guy to say, I'm going to do this on film and then it's going to be a permanent show and then we can sell it around the world and we can have it forever. Uh, But who could have predicted pre-streaming that... You know, like there's a whole bunch of kids in their 20s now and me discovering Friends, which ran from the mid-90s until the mid-aughts. And, you know, so everybody's completely out of sync. Back in the day, everybody spent the entire summer waiting to find out who killed or who shot JR. So stuff that is expected to happen today. Um, One thing, and I imagine we'll have this as breaking news, 
uh, on the Jerry Agar show. I think we expect a 10 a.m. press conference for uh, QP to announce the results of the referendum that was done on the educator's contract with the government. I, I, I have no special insider knowledge. I suspect it's going to be approved. Generally, when a union recommends a contract, it's extraordinarily rare for the rank and file to reject it. Also, I think the rank and file are probably so anxious to just get back to full-time teaching and whatever, you know, all the administrative things they do and the custodians and all those people. And it's, you know, it's like the Christmas season. Nobody likes chaos during the Christmas season. And, and they actually got most of what they were shopping for as well. So also, I suspect, and I could be entirely wrong about this, but that's okay. You can always text because I know that there are people who are much more intimately associated with all of the stories that we talk about on the show um, who are listening and can text us if they want to share some insider information. But my suspicion is this. If they are making this announcement at Queen's Park, which they are, then I suspect it's because the result was positive. I don't think you duck into the Queen's Park Bureau, say, by the way, we're still at war, and then sneak out a side door to avoid bumping into the education minister. Um, but we will find out. Another thing we're going to find out today is today's the deadline to register to run for leadership of the provincial NDP. And at the moment, Marit Stiles is the only person who's running. Now, somebody may jump in just because... It's kind of sad if nobody wants to be the leader of your party, although I happen to, you know, we've had Merritt Stiles on the show numerous times. She's the education critic, and I think she's a pretty compelling would-be leader. But at the same time, if there is no competition for the leadership of your party, that suggests one of two things. One is the situation that happened with Justin Trudeau, which was that nobody was going to beat him, so why try? Um, the other scenario is that it's not a particularly attractive job, and so not a lot of people are going to step up for it. And Merritt Stiles may make a fine leader of the opposition. She may one day make a fine premier. But if nobody wants to step up and run for that position, then it suggests it's not the most popular job in the offing. Uh, interesting thing this weekend, I have to say, numbers count when it comes to protests. So the fact that a couple of, you know, ramshackle protests unfold every single weekend now with like 100 people uh, with upside down Canadian flags complaining about whatever it is they're complaining about, it's not all that persuasive about the causes they're undertaking. However, an awful lot of people did turn out, we don't have any hard numbers, but some pretty significant protests all across the province and municipalities against the reopening of the Greenbelt. And so... I think the government never fooled itself and Doug Ford and his office probably never fooled themselves into thinking that this was going to be easy. But I wonder if they're looking at this and thinking, yes, yeah, it's going to be harder than we had anticipated. Uh, Mike Schreiner, Green Party leader, was one of the people speaking at one of the rallies. And you can throw in number 21, Nick Marano. Here's Mike Schreiner. 
number of people carrying recycled Bill 66 signs. If you remember in 2018, 2019, when Ford said he was going to open the Greenbelt for development, people pushed back. He backtracked. We can push back. He'll backtrack again. He just did it on his abuse of the notwithstanding clause, taking away charter rights. People are angry. Like these kinds of protests are popping up in communities all over Ontario. And they're saying, Doug Ford, keep your promise. Keep your hands off the Greenbelt. So it's going to be interesting to see if there's any critical mass there. And certainly Mike Schreiner's not wrong that this administration, more than some, seems to often backtrack. They do either trial balloon and then they just don't go ahead with something. Or they bring something out and they go, oh, okay, you don't like it. All right, for, fine, fine. We'll just, we'll, we'll take that back. Uh, I don't know that the entire bill would be taken back. But I, there are some pretty serious issues here. And you know, amongst many, uh, you just, you know, you're not supposed to be messing with the green belt. Uh, number two, the idea that, well, we're swapping back more land. Yes, but it's also some of it useless land uh, that you're going to swap into the green belt. And then there is the issue, and I get it, we're never probably going to be able to say absolutely for sure that there was some skullduggery. However, you know, who walks in and spends $80 million in borrowed money on a piece of property that is zoned for no construction? And then lo and behold, a few weeks later, all of a sudden it gets rezoned for construction. Now, it may have been a good bet or it may have just been based on somebody nodding at the right time during a coffee party. Time now to say good morning to John Moore, News Talk Radio 1010. See what's on his mind to start the week. Morning, John. Good morning, George. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. Uh, so we're going to today hear about measuring the uh, membership's mindset as uh, the QP ratification vote results will be announced at 10 a.m. 10 a.m. at Queen's Park. And I have no fearless predictions for you, but I'm <laughs> hoping for good news. And I think parents are hoping for good news. And one hopes that maybe the QP workers, 55,000 of them, are happy enough with the contract that was proposed that we have labor peace. Then, of course, George, it's on to the next unions and the next pattern blocking. Right. So here's a question. Is anybody really going to step up and challenge Marit Stiles for uh, leadership of the Ontario NDP? Because the clock is ticking. It is. Today is the deadline. You have to pony up with $55,000 and a significant number of signatures in order to run. You also have to want the job, and it doesn't seem that anybody but Merritt Stiles does. She's the education critic. She announced some time ago, and as of today, you're absolutely right. Um, Salma Makwa decided ultimately no. We have Chris Glover and Wayne Gates who said that they were thinking about it, but it looks like we could have a one-person race for the NDP leadership, in which case I wonder if she gets appointed right away by caucus rather than having to wait on the entire party. Right, because that wait would have taken until late winter, early spring, I think, March or something. March. So, yeah, right. There you yeah. go. Okay, uh, still sort of with politics uh, on the blame-shame scale. Turns out most Canadians, at least older Canadians, support having invoked the Emergencies Act back in the winter. This poll was taken, George, after the testimony of the Prime Minister and Cabinet Ministers, so it takes into account what they brought to the party when they testified at the Judicial Inquiry and Declaration of the Emergencies Act. And it's roughly the same proportion of Canadians who supported it at the time that it was declared, so it shows that public opinion has not been shifted by any of that testimony. 66% of respondents supported or somewhat supported the government's use of the Emergencies Act, 30% opposed 
opposed it. And uh, as a matter of fact, this poll also finds that Canadians are not that charitable when it comes to people who threw in with the protesters, including the leader of the opposition, uh, Pierre Polyev. All right, next up, uh, rallies happened all over the province on the weekend against the Greenbelt Bill. You guys were covering this live at times, and yeah, I'm somewhat surprised, I have to say, at the number of people who turned out. There were protests in municipalities, 10 communities at the very least, across the province of Ontario. All of this over the opening of the Green Belt and the province's Build Houses Faster Act. So, I wonder if perhaps Doug Ford and company are going to have to expend more political capital than they had anticipated in order to marshal this through, or if they're going to have to back down. And finally, the Girl Guides will be announcing two new potential names to replace uh, brownies. Yeah, as you know, the, uh, they ultimately made the decision that brownies was perhaps harming some racialized girl guides, so they decided to come out with a new name. Uh, they've come up with two, and you can vote until December 13th. Well, not perhaps you, but members <laughs> of the girl guide movement. And the two names are Comets or embers. And I have to wonder, George, those are kind of great names, great ideas, but somebody, no doubt, is going to come up with some kind of objection oh, to it. Oh, 100%. Everybody's by everything these Someone days. Someone would be offended, and yeah. then they'll have to start it all over again. Look, I'm just glad it's not up to Twitter. Right? Just straight up. <laughs> yeah. I'm hoping it's not being left to Twitter, because who knows what will end up happening there. Hey, John, great stuff. Thanks uh, for all this. Have yourself a great day and a great show. That's our friend George Legojanis over at CP24. And yeah, if they left it up to an unsupervised online poll, I guess it would be Brownie McBrownie face? Probably. And I have to say, coming off of uh, George's remarks about Twitter, that uh, Twitter's becoming a less and less attractive place. And you know what? It's not about diversity of opinion. It's about the fact that Elon Musk seems to want to promote some pretty controversial people. James Woods is one of the more noxious presences on Twitter, one of a handful of celebrities who seem to have decided to throw away whatever career they used to have in exchange for whatever fame they seem to be able to gain on Twitter. But I keep getting James Woods on my Twitter feed, and I don't follow him, and I keep getting Kyle Rittenhouse. And you probably have to be reminded who Kyle Rittenhouse is. He's the kid who went to a protest and ended up killing two people. He was acquitted because there was no necessarily uh, murderous intent. But when you deliberately go to a protest of people you oppose and you end up killing some of them, it's kind of a dubious distinction. And now on the merits of having killed two people and wounded another one, he's this huge right-wing celebrity. And he spends his time on Twitter either quoting the Bible, seems to have forgotten one of the commandments, or you know, talking about enormously banal things and asking these you know, questions in order to spark some sort of a discussion. Anyway, the fact that they turn up, no matter what time of day or night I end up on Twitter, that I end up with tweets from the two of them, and I'm thinking, why? And it's, you know, if that's diversity of opinion, then that's a pretty strange notion or impression of what diversity actually is. Something we will talk about in passing this morning, but we're going to hook up with one of our NBC network reporters about this latest controversy at Twitter, which is the notion that they suppressed the famous uh, laptop that belonged to uh, Hunter Biden.
Once you know more about that story, it's a lot less intriguing. But I know in the fever dream that has generated things like Pizzagate, it was a tremendously exciting weekend for a lot of people. Let's take a break. In a moment, though, we will press the reset button, touch on a few other stories this morning that uh, definitely should be on your radar, including how the Canadian Red Cross has now been called into children's hospitals, one in particular in Ottawa, but there is a national crisis at children's hospitals. 5.29, so 60 seconds away from the half-hour headlines and a check on traffic. Enough time to touch on a uh, an upsetting story, to say the very least, a uh, children's hospital in Ottawa is going to be getting extra help from the Canadian Red Cross. So it's a bit like when we reached a crisis point during COVID in long-term care homes and we had to call in the army. And I often, you know, God bless them for doing that work, but when you think you sign up for the Canadian military and a life in the armed forces and you end up in a senior's home helping people with dementia, it's not exactly the job that you were expecting to do. But they did it. And then they discovered um, just legion of horrible, horrible conditions and things going on in those homes. That's not going to be the situation in children's hospitals. But, you know, this is one Ottawa hospital where the Red Cross is going in. But then in the same report that I was listening to on the way in, in the car this morning, they were talking about how there's a children's hospital in Edmonton where they've actually had to temporarily shut down the hospice unit. And how depressing is that? The, they've reached a crisis point in a children's hospital where they cannot accommodate children who are dying. You're listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. 5.36 on a Monday morning, and one hopes that all the gyrations and spasms that we've been through with the QP education workers come to an official end today, but we'll know around 10 o'clock, so you'll hear right here on News Talk 1010. I always say News Talk 1010 is where the talkers come to talk, and sometimes it's where the scoops come to scoop. And this morning, after the news, the half-hour headlines at 6.30, uh, Mark Mendelson, our crime specialist, is going to join us. And not to tip our hand too much, but let's just say that something that is supposed to be officially announced from Toronto Police Service today, they already told Mark what it's all about. So we'll get the scoop early right here on News Talk 1010. Um, and then, of course, we'll uh, be covering, probably as breaking news, I'd imagine, the announcement as to what the result was in the QP workers' uh, referendum. They voted online. I'd be curious to know what the participation rate in that is, because I'm a member of a couple of unions, and we go through these uh, huge negotiations, I think it's every four years, and I just always presume that my union leadership knows what it's doing, and I mean... For the record, the union is uh, ACTRA and the, uh, then there's the Writers Guild. And since I don't work all that much, I don't really, I'm not that heavily invested. It's not like I won't be able to pay the mortgage if uh, an ACTRA deal isn't quite up to, uh, up to snuff. Uh, but I have to think that the participation in those online ballots is probably like 35-40% because most people just assume that everything's fine. So anyway, we'll get those numbers this morning and there's no point in vamping any longer. Um, but it'll be a bit of peace of mind. And then I guess it's on to the next negotiation because the you know we, we started with the um, education workers. Now the teachers' contracts are still outstanding. However, having made the deal that they did, that kind of sets 
the tone and even perhaps the percentages for the next round of negotiations. Mind you, one thing worth noting, all through this whole uh, business, I was pressing the matter that I thought that there really was a genuinely undercompensated cohort in this 55,000 workers, and that was the educational assistance. And that doesn't mean if you're listening right now, it's probably some person mopping a floor somewhere, listening on a headset, getting all mad uh, with the notion that perhaps I'm uh, underestimating the importance of custodians, which I'm not. But I still think that if you take a look at it, that it wasn't a terribly um, negative approach for the government to take to say, you know what, we want to top up the people who are amongst the lowest earners, everybody else, this is what we're offering, which is a little bit less. And that was at one point a deal breaker, but in the end, it seems to have worked. Um, back to the poll we were talking about with our friends at CP24 at 5.15 this morning. And that would be a poll of Canadians that finds a majority, a significant majority, still support the government having used the Emergencies Act. Now, I'm still convinced, but I, you know never take a nuanced position anymore because everybody just wants everything to be black and white. I wanted the protests to end. I thought that they were uh, a public nuisance, to say the least. I mean, it depends on which protest you're looking at. In Ottawa, they were paralyzing the nation's capital. They were making life miserable for residents and workers. And, you know, okay, I get it. You don't want to wear a mask and get a vaccine. Fine. But three weeks of paralyzing the nation's capital is unacceptable. But then there was the other protests, which were shutting down trade. They were shutting down trucks coming into Canada and shutting down trucks getting out of Canada. And that is beyond unacceptable. Now, here, here's where we get to what I guess we could call the nuanced position. I still don't think the Emergencies Act was necessary. So you kind of got to reconcile these two things. I certainly wanted those protests and a majority of Canadians wanted those protests and in spite of the fact that a majority of Canadians supported some of the ideas behind the protests, they didn't support the protests. Um, I still think that we could have ended those protests without having to resort to the Emergencies Act. But we'll find out what the judge has to say when he comes in with his final report in the month of February. Still, much like the War Measures Act, which again, you know, I knew a radio news host who did an editorial back in October 1970 against the imposition of the uh, War Measures Act and got marched out the door. Uh, it was popular. It was extraordinarily popular. I know that my parents, I was just four at the time, but I know my parents were relieved to see soldiers and tanks and guns, as Pierre Trudeau alluded to, in the streets. They were happy that some of their friends who were in high target areas uh, were under armed protection. Uh, and people were happy that they were cracking down on the FLQ because, you know, cabinet ministers were being murdered and British trade commissioners were being uh, kidnapped. But it doesn't necessarily mean it's legally or morally or politically right. But uh, back to the Emergencies Act. And 66% of Canadians say they support or somewhat support, so basically support, uh, the government's use of the Emergencies Act. 30% opposed it. This is a Nanos poll. Uh, the same poll, incidentally, just did the usual top-line business of who do you support politically, 
and it shows overall support for the Conservatives has slipped. Uh, the lead they held over the Liberals has evaporated. And I think a lot of that probably has to do with the testimony of the cabinet ministers who seemed quite practical and reasonable in their, re in, you know, their evidence and reasoning and the performance of Justin Trudeau in a period of four and a half hours where lo and behold, he actually appeared like a prime minister. And so probably a lot of people looked at that. And then a lot of people looked at um, Pierre Polyev's um, absence over the last little while, but also the fact that he supported the convoy protesters. And maybe they thought, eh, you know what? We don't necessarily have to change governments. Now, polls between elections, when we're this far away from the next election, are not useless. They're instructive as to where sort of Canadian passions are going in one direction or another. But they also, you know, Canadians, for example, tend to bank their votes with the NDP because that seems like a very virtuous thing and they seem like a nice bunch of people. And then come election day, they usually go back to their, their usual parties. Uh, some interesting numbers have come in from Black Friday and Cyber Monday, and they set records, both of them. These are American figures, but I would imagine there's, you know, hard to believe anything would be all that radically different in Canada. And this is largely in keeping with the pulse that I've had on the, the aggregate economy over the last little while, which is if you are doing a poll and you ask Canadians, are you tapering off your spending this Christmas? Everybody goes, hmm, price of gas, price of food, bacon's up, coffee's up. Yeah, I'm going to spend less. The real test of that is, what are they spending? One is an opinion, one is gut, one is behavior, and it's demonstrable at the cash register and online. And Americans, at the very least, are spending about 8% more than they did last year in getting ready for Christmas. So... It's another example of how rational economics is, right? Because you can declare one intention and then behave completely differently. And, you know, that's, that's also why stock markets crash and people have runs on banks. And, you know, on and on and on it goes. The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. All right. And I don't want to be teasing with an obit, because probably if you're not aware of which beloved Sesame Street character has passed away, then... You want to know. It was Bob McGrath who played Bob on Sesame Street. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised that he was 90 years old, but he was actually on that show until 2016 when he and a few other people were somewhat unceremoniously cashiered. But you know what? He was good natured about everything. And even when he was retired against his will from the show, he just sort of said, eh, it's been a good run. You know, I feel like meeting somebody around the neighborhood today. How about it? Oh, oh, who are the people in your neighborhood? In your neighborhood, in your neighborhood. Say, who are the people in your neighborhood? Well, they're the people that you meet when you're walking down the street. They're the people that you meet each I often think of Bob McGrath and that song when I'm walking through my neighborhood because there are days we'll go up to St. Clair and have lunch at the restaurant and we'll be making our way home and I'll meet the people at the bookstore. So we got to chat the people in my neighborhood. Then next door, 
to that or a couple of doors over is Paolo, who runs a menswear shop, and we'll stop and chat with Paolo. Then usually the uh, restaurateurs, the Italian restaurateurs, a few doors over from that, ask us if we want to come in for a coffee. And you just keep going, and it's like, and then the barber, and you think, we're never going to get home. And then we round the corner. Um, we'll end up talking to the maitre d' at a restaurant on the corner. And then if the timing's right, all the firemen want to come and play with the dogs. So uh, we end up talking with uh, all the firemen at uh, Station 311. And so I think of Bob McGrath and all of the people in my neighborhood. And then, of course, there's the couriers. And honestly, there was one day it took me an hour to get home just because I stopped and talked with so many people in the neighborhood. Bob McGrath, incidentally, passing away at the age of 90, but things you might not have known about him up until the time he got the job on Sesame Street, which he wasn't that excited about, actually. He bumped into a university buddy who said, I'm doing the show, this show with puppets, and I know you're a singer. Would you like to join the cast? And he thought, puppets? But then he met the Muppets, and he decided, I'm in. But before that, believe it or not, he was a teenage idol. He started singing in the United States as part of a group, ended up being a solo act, and somehow became this huge celebrity in Japan to the point where he sang in English and Japanese in Japan and in North America. And one of the things you may remember if you're of a certain age and you watched Sesame Street growing up, he learned American Sign Language, and he would do American Sign Language on the show. Carey Price making some headlines this weekend. He is on leave currently from the Montreal Canadiens, but he is a ferocious goalie, and he's also a hunter. So he posted a picture of himself in his uh, hunting clothes holding a gun and simply said, I love my family. I love my country. I care for my neighbor. I am not a criminal or a threat to society. What Justin Trudeau is trying to do is unjust. I support the Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights to keep my hunting tools. Thank you for listening to my opinion. Now, I don't know enough about guns to identify the gun that he was holding. We'll talk with Matt Gurney, who uh, is in a family uh, that knows its, uh, its guns. And uh, that's going to be tomorrow, isn't it, Joe? We'll talk to Matt Gurney about this gun law because I think people need to be brought up to speed on it. Um, but at the same time, there is an exemption in the law for indigenous people. So Carey Price is immune to this. And the one big question I have is, is the gun he's holding actually a gun that's going to end up on the prohibited list? Um, you know, I'm not the biggest believer in quite a few forms of gun control because I don't think it necessarily works. But I also don't believe anybody needs to own these kinds of weapons like the AR-15 that are used constantly in mass shootings. You don't go deer hunting with a gun like that. Also, though, I have to think this goes into the file for touchdowns and fumbles. Uh, if it wasn't part of Friday's show, I'm not sure when it actually happened. Uh, the Canadian Coalition for Firearm Rights did a, um, an event where they urged you to use a code word, poly. Why would you do that? Poly, as in polyvalent, as in polytechnique, as in the 1989 massacre that killed 14 women. Why in all the world would you use poly as a code word for a coalition for firearm rights? Uh, was re reading before the show this morning an interesting little feature about uh, how 
food delivery robots are becoming more popular on the streets of Canadian cities. They're actually banned in Toronto. And I'm pretty okay with that. I know Toronto bans all kinds of things because it's sort of a joyless place at times. But here's my test for these food delivery robots. If you haven't seen them, they're, you know, the size of the average picnic cooler. And they're autonomous. And they hit the streets and they roll along the sidewalk until they get to a house. And then the person in the house or condo or whatever gets the signal. And they get a delivery, a, a number code. So they go down and it's like a safe. They punch the code in, they open it up, they take out their pizza, Bob's your uncle. But if these food delivery robots are such a good idea, let's try them on streets instead of sidewalks. Like why are sidewalks, why, why are pedestrians somehow second class? But you know, if you put them on the streets, motorists would be absolutely furious, which explains perhaps why pedestrians, particularly those with disabilities, don't wanna see these suckers on the sidewalks of Toronto. That is The Breakfast Wrap. Thanks a lot for listening. My name is John Moore. I hope we'll talk again soon. You've been listening to The Breakfast Wrap with John Moore. Don't forget to subscribe and get the latest episode from wherever you get your podcasts. And listen weekday mornings from 5 to 9 on News Talk 1010.